kind of our, our privilege to be back. I'm getting older. I'm making noises when I get up and down. <laughs> uh, it's a privilege to be back with you. And uh, I have the privilege of being able to share a little bit about our trip this morning uh, with my guests this morning. Most of you all know uh, this is my wife, Heather. And so uh, I asked if she would come and help me look really good this morning and uh, kind of share because this is a journey we went on together and uh, a lot of lessons that we learned. So uh, back in June, we had the privilege of traveling through the Middle East in the lands of the Bible uh, through a ministry called Under the Fig Tree that comes out of Holland, Michigan. And uh, we had two leaders that led us through, and I think we have a picture of them. Uh, George DeJong and Terry McFarland. Uh, George is a, a pastor, theologian, historian, uh, scuba diver, all-around awesome guy, and uh, he, was, he was our rabbi, our teacher, uh, for the 15 days that we were in uh, the lands of the Bible. And the goal of the trip comes from Ezekiel 44. Um, I hope that you have eyes to see and ears to hear, and a heart that is full of what I am going to show you, so that you can go and tell Israel. That was the goal of our trip, to journey through the lands of the Bible, and this particular study focused on the Exodus story. So we started out in Egypt, and we traveled through Sinai and Jordan, and ended in uh, Israel, our last number of days around the Sea of Galilee and Jerusalem, the Shephelah, and all those kind of fun things. So this, today, we are not going to tell you about our whole trip, uh, because we have 1,500 photographs, we're going to bore you, put you to sleep, uh, all that kind of thing. We're going to give you a little taste. Uh, later on in a couple of weeks, we are going to do a, a presentation during the day and in the evening. We'll, we'll share a lot of our photographs. We have some items and things that we want to have as part of our presentation that aren't yet ready. Uh, and so we're going to do that later on uh, uh, in this month. So um, this morning, we just want to talk a little bit about uh, love, uh, since that is our theme for this summer, and how we learned a lot about love on our trip. And uh, one of the ways that we did that is we began every day by reciting the Shema. And the Shema is a, a, it's a prayer, it's a blessing, uh, it's an oath uh, that a devout Jewish person uh, says twice a day. And so um, we're going we're gonna to recite together the Shema. It's going to come up on the screen in a moment. Uh, but I, I want you to hear the Shema. And so Heather, Heather is going to start, and she's, she's actually going to read the Shema for us. And, and I want you to just listen, and then you're going to repeat. Sound like a plan? Real exciting. All right. Okay, so every day we started with the Shema, saying it in Hebrew. So I'll start by saying it in Hebrew for you. Shema Israel, Adonai Elohenu, Adonai Echad, Ve'ahavta et Adonai Eloika. And then in English, Hear, O Israel, Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. 
and love, love your neighbor, neighbor as, as yourself. yourself. So this is the Shema. And this is not necessarily a prayer that they would pray to God. This is a prayer and a blessing that they would say to each other to remind themselves who they are, whose they are. And so this morning, what we're going to do uh, is just kind of an outline. We're just going to walk through the Shema and, and talk about love and some of the lessons that we learned along the way. And we started out with Hebrew uh, in saying the Shema in Hebrew because uh, it helps, under, uh, helps us understand that the Bible is not written to us. It's written for us. And it's in a context, both a literary context, a language context, and a geographical context. And that was a big part of the lessons we learned on our trip. And so we have to approach the text not necessarily with Western eyes, but Eastern eyes. So what we're going to do is we're just going to walk through the Shema in, in sections and share a little bit of our trip, and, and hopefully uh, you'll learn some lessons about love this morning. So I'm going to begin with the first part of the Shema, hear, O Israel, hear. Now the, the Shema begins with the, 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 uh, the phrase hear, because hear is the word Shema. So the Shema comes from the very first word in the Shema, hear. And hear means hear, that you actually hear this. Hearing also means that you understand something, that you comprehend something. And hear also means that you're obedient to what you're hearing. So in Hebrew, Hebrew is a very diverse, dynamic language. Lots of meanings with single words. And so it begins with hear. Hear this. Understand this. Do this. And it begins with hear O Israel, Israel, uh, which is really interesting. Israel is not really their name, the Jewish people. Their Jewish name or their, their group name is Hebrews. They're the Hebrews, but they are referred to as Israel. And that comes from a time in their history where they had a patriarch named Jacob. Jacob was walking along a trail one day out for a little hike. And he comes upon a stranger, and he does what all of us do when you're out walking and you come along to a stranger, he wrestles him, throws down, jumps on him, and they start wrestling with each other. And this is a match that goes all night long. And at the very morning, the morning comes, uh, this messenger, the person wants to leave, and Jacob says, I won't leave until you bless me. And so... His name is changed. And he says, from now on, you will not be Jacob. You will be known as Israel, the one who wrestles with God. Not against God, but the one who wrestles with God. And there's a really big difference there. Uh, one of the fun things about this trip is that my wife and I get to, had the opportunity to do this together. Uh, and we were given this opportunity by a gift of a, uh, a very generous individual who wanted us to take uh, this trip together. And one of the outcomes of this trip is every morning and every evening and all through the day, we have been having discussions about the Bible. And many times we don't agree. Hard to imagine. And they get heated sometimes. But the cool thing is, we're not 
wrestling against each other. We're wrestling with each other. Big difference. God invites us to wrestle with Him. That is our identity, is to be with God and wrestle with Him. And so in the Exodus story, Israel wrestles with God. Uh, And it's just interesting, when He takes them through the wilderness, He is not abandoning them in the wilderness. I had this kind of idea that when they come to the promised land and the 12 princes go into the promised land, they come back and they give a bad report. And so God says, then you cannot enter into the promised land, that they just wander mindlessly for 40 years. But that's not what happens. God doesn't allow them to enter the land right away because they're not ready. And so God doesn't abandon them. He shepherds them for the next 40 years. They're not mindlessly wandering around in the wilderness. They're being led the entire way. And they are wrestling with God. You know, in the wilderness, we find out who we truly are and whose we are. Uh, We see our painful struggles in the boulders and in the steep hills. We remember our temptations when we come along the edges of crevices and deep ravines and you feel that heat, constant pressure of the sun and we think sometimes of the pressures that make us feel like quitting. George DeJong, our teacher, said that we connect with the physical landscape of the wilderness because the landscape of the wilderness resembles our hearts. He says sometimes life feels like a struggle to survive. And we live in a spiritually desolate world. And we stumble over rocks in our path. And we're tested by difficult climbs. And many times we just feel discouraged and tired. But it's in the wilderness that we experience God and He shapes us. You think about it, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they all endured the wilderness. Israel as a people, wondered 40 years being shaped into a holy people. The prophet Elijah, when he felt like giving up, God would feed and fill and speak to him in the wilderness. John the Baptist begins his call for repentance and baptism in the wilderness. Jesus begins his ministry from the wilderness. See, time and time again, God leads his people into the wilderness. And he's shaping them there. And it's where we turn to him for strength and protection. And mixed in with all the hardships and the temptations is just God's grace. Because he is with us. He is shepherding us the whole time. God fed his people. God spoke to them there. He prepared them for life. He prepared them for the ministry that he was going to have them do when they get into the land. And with each step, he revealed his heart of love for them all along the way. You see, lessons that, like that are not learned under palm trees and resorts. We got to spend some time in some really awesome resorts, but not a whole lot of time. We slept there 
Uh, and, and we had breakfast there, and that's all the time we spent in resorts. Because you don't learn lessons in resorts. You learn life lessons, and you are shaped and formed in wilderness. And that's where God wants to take all of us. He wants us to become a wilderness people who don't wrestle against Him, but wrestle with Him. So the Shema begins, Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. As we toured several Egyptian ruins, we quickly came to understand that pictures were the primary form of communication. Egypt itself can be described as being a picture upon a picture. Through the size and scope of a building, the location of a statue, or the hieroglyphics used to adorn their holy places, the ancient Egyptians' belief system quickly emerged. You see, they clearly saw God in creation, but they made creation itself God. In fact, estimates are that there were over 2,000 deities in the Egyptian pantheon. As supreme ruler over Egypt, Pharaoh was not only king, but he was also considered a god on earth whose primary role was to preserve order. The Colossi of Memnon are two massive statues of a pharaoh named Amenhotep III. They were intentionally designed so that those standing beneath them would be under his feet, a permanent visual reminder that Pharaoh ruled over you. Likewise, the gateway to the Ramesseum and the granite statue of Ramses were enormous to remind you of the greatness of Pharaoh as a god and to reinforce how small or insignificant you were in comparison. One cannot help but contrast Yahweh, the one true God, to those that we encountered in Egypt. These Egyptian gods were carved by human hands. They were lifeless, impersonal, temperamental. But as God described himself to Moses as being compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Our God has no beginning or end. He is unchanging, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Consider the contrast of Pharaoh, who used his power to promote his sovereignty at the expense of others, whereas Yahweh, sovereign of all creation, made himself small, so that we might be lifted up to have a closer relationship with him, to be a redeemed people. The purpose of the Exodus was not simply to redeem Egypt, or sorry, to redeem Israel from their slavery to Egypt, but more importantly, it was to restore the relationship between God and his people. He was inviting them into a close relationship with him. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in the Shema refers to the personal covenantal name of God. It is the name reserved for those closest to him, those who love and know him on a deep personal level. To illustrate this further, consider how your name, the use of your name, depends on the relationship to the user. Professionally, people call me Mrs. Walsh. They only know me within the confines of my career. My friends call me Heather, but my children, those closest to me, call me mom. 
It is a special relationship only a few in my life have that qualifies them to be able to refer to me by that name. This is what God invites all of us into, to know and experience him that intimately. Through the Exodus, God demonstrated his power to show he is the one true God, the only one worthy of worship. After the Israelites witnessed the invalidation of the Egyptian gods through the 10 plagues and the decimation of Pharaoh in the sea, they proclaimed in Exodus 15:11, "Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders." It was indisputable to the Israelites that God had earned the designation of being the one true God. And soon God would use the wilderness to shape his people, to grow them in their relationship with him, to not just be their God, but to be their capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Mission Covenant, may this be said of us, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And then love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Uh, our adventure began in Cairo, Egypt, and we started the very first day pondering the pyramids. And so we've got lots and lots of pictures of the pyramids. They are absolutely amazing uh, when you see them in person. They are majestic. They are larger than life. They are considered uh, one of the seven wonders of the world, uh, the oldest of the seven wonders of the world, and the only one in existence today. Uh, so to see them uh, is to experience something absolutely amazing. And when you see wonderful objects like this, we tend to ask questions like, who built them and how did they do it? You look at the pyramids and it's amazing who did it and how they did it. They built sometime around the period of 2500 BC. They're extremely ancient. They're over close to 5,000 years old. If you can imagine when Abraham first came to Egypt, they were ancient when Abraham was there. They were over 1,000 years old when Abraham first came to Egypt. Uh, and how they were built is absolutely amazing. Uh, the three pyramids that you see in the one picture is built for the pharaohs, uh, the son, father, and grandson of, of, of Khufu. Uh, it's built over 26 years to make the one pyramid, over 2.3 million blocks. And the granite blocks that form uh, the inner part of the pyramid uh, are granite that are brought up from the land of Aswan, which is 500 miles away. So how did they do that? How did they perform this major engineering feat? It's amazing when you think about it. They put a lot of effort into it. And who did it? What's amazing is slaves did not build the pyramids. It's a common misconception and common sometimes to confuse the Israelites built the pyramids, but they did not. Pyramids predate the Israelites in Egypt. So who built them? Well, it wasn't slaves. It was the Egyptians themselves. So why did they do it? 
They did it because they were fully devoted to their Pharaoh. They were fully committed. They had loving loyalty to their leader. And they were willing to do anything to show their loving loyalty to him. In fact, uh, the Egyptian calendar is broken up into one-thirds. A third of uh, your life, your year, is to planting. A third of your year is to harvesting. And a third of the year you give to Pharaoh. And so that's how they built these magnificent structures. On the plateau, the three major pyramids are joined uh, by over a hundred smaller pyramids. There's mortuary temples, uh, little tombs uh, to other political leaders. It's a magnificent place to be. But it's all done out of loving loyalty to their Pharaoh. You know, in the Shema, we are invited to love God with all our being. All our heart, all our soul, all our strength. Are we willing to love God with that same devotion, that same loving loyalty, to give God all of ourselves to Him? So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Perhaps you're asking the same question that was posed to Jesus. Who is my neighbor? Is my neighbor someone with whom I share something of similarity? Uh, Maybe a geographical location, maybe nationality, maybe a belief system. Jesus tells us that every human being on earth is to be considered our neighbor. You know, loving people with whom we are similar is easy. But how about loving those who are different? That can be really difficult. Jesus told of a traveler who was stripped of his clothing, beaten, and left half dead alongside the road. First a Jewish priest, and then a Levite come by. But they both avoid the man. Finally, a Samaritan happens upon the traveler. And although Samaritans and Jews despised each other, It's the Samaritan who helps the wounded man. We walked this very road beginning in Jericho, and we headed towards Jerusalem. And this story came to life as we realized the only way to avoid the wounded man in this story was to literally step over him. When presented with the opportunity to help someone clearly in need, Two of the passers-by do just that. They intentionally withheld their most basic attempt to give this person care and dignity. Help came instead from someone outside of the acceptable social network. Jesus' story demonstrates that God's love is to be shown to everyone, not just to the people we like or those that we deem as being acceptable. One of the greatest blessings of our trip was being able to meet so many different people. We met Egyptians, Jordanians, Palestinians, most of them Muslim, some of them Jewish, a few of them Christian. But despite our obvious differences, we knew that every single person we encountered 
was created by God, bearing the very image of God. Our group looked for opportunities to bless our Middle Eastern neighbors with kind words or actions because God says, if you're going to love me, you better love my image bearers. You see, to love your neighbor as yourself is to understand that every person on earth is an image bearer, not a label. Friends, we are more than the labels that are assigned to us based on our gender, career, our nationality, political or religious affiliations, our economic or educational status, and more. In Madaba, Jordan, we visited a mosaic shop that is run by Khalid, a Jordanian Christian who employs people with disabilities to work for him in his workshop by creating the stunning mosaics that are sold there. We were awestruck by Khalid's explanation of the artwork. The small fragments of stone called tesserae are arranged in intricate patterns and glued down. A young man was sitting behind his work table in his wheelchair, assembling a large mosaic. He broke the stone into smaller pieces with his tool and then placed them into the picture, piece by painstaking piece. Once the artisan is proficient, Khalid explained, they no longer need a pattern to follow. They already know how each piece will fit together. And then he surprised us with this. Every picture is started and completed by the same artist. Only they will work on it to completion. This mosaic shop is ministering to their fellow image bearers, showing them love and blessing them with dignity. And their example is having a significant impact within their community as people with disabilities are often marginalized in Middle Eastern society. It was during our trip that we became aware of a ministry opportunity whose focus is on expressing God's generous and loving heart to those our culture too quickly dismisses, those with moderate intellectual disabilities or an autism spectrum disorder. Uh, let's watch this short video clip about this ministry called The Heart of God. We just arrived in Israel. What's unique about Under the Fig Tree Ministries is that we help people to see the Bible in context in the lands of the Bible. The Heart of God trip is targeted for people with special needs, moderate to high functioning. It comes from the idea of if you want to bless me, bless my kids. If you want to bless God, bless his kids. And I think some of the most special of God's children are those with special needs. His name was Herod, and you know him as Herod the Great. Herod the Great. Herod the Great built a harbor here where you couldn't build a harbor. And we'll talk about Herod again later on. Their eyes are full of questions, their hearts are full of wonder, and um, it is just so rich to, to see these ones who society often passes by uh, to be at the center of God's attention, at the center of this trip. So in November, I will be joining this ministry as a support person for the participants as they tour Israel for 10 days. 
Um, I'm asking for your prayer. Please be in prayer for our participants that they would feel safe to take risks and grow in their faith. Um, pray for our team that we would be discerning in how to best meet the needs of those in our group. And also that our witness would be a blessing to those outside of the group. So in closing, love God, love his image bearers. And we don't do this in and our own strength. We do this because as 1 John 4, 19 tells us, we love because he first loved us. And God loves us. And we are to love him. And if we love God, we love his kids. We love his fellow image bearers. You know, we had mentioned at the beginning of our little presentation here that we had the opportunity to do this trip because of a very gracious gift. And uh, the donor made it uh, known to us that it wasn't just for James. Heather has to come along. Because he understood. If you love James, you love Heather. If you love God, you love his kids. Love God. Love each other. Would you uh, stand with me? Let's close in prayer, would we? Father God, we thank you for your great love for us. God, we thank you for how you demonstrate your presence to us, even in the most difficult times in the wildernesses. Lord, it is through the wilderness that we come to know who we are and we come to know who you are. And Lord, you are forming us to be a people who wrestle with you and seek to love like you, to love everybody as everybody is made in your image. God, help us today to be a, a loving people who seek to glorify you by serving those around us, loving those around us in all the ways that we can. Help us to do that now. We pray this all in Jesus, our Lord and Savior's name. Amen.